What the hell's the name of this thing? The Ballsy Podcast. Hosted by the award-winning Evan Grant. This is my baby. And these two were just along riding my carpet, my carpet tail. Kevin Sherrington. I did not choose the dance life. It chose me. Barry Horn. You know what my intention is? When's the last time that anybody has ever asked you a question? No one's ever asked me a question. I'm married. Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Ballsy. I'm Kevin Sherrington, and in this episode, we're going to talk about the Cowboys. And I'm Barry Horn. To hear our other exciting additions, simply subscribe to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. You know we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. So sit back, relax, that's relax with an X, and enjoy another edition of the Cowboys Ballsy with a Z Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News podcast, Ballsy. I am Kevin Sherrington. I'm his sidekick today, Barry Horn. And joining us now is the son of who is, to me, the most interesting Dallas Cowboy ever. Uh, the, the one guy that I always wanted to know more about, and that was Dandy Don Meredith. His son, Michael, is joining us today. Michael, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much. Michael, you're we're, you're talking to us today from NFL Films, where you're doing what? I am finishing up post on um, a documentary that focuses on the Ice Bowl. And this is the 50th anniversary of the Ice Bowl. Coming up, yeah, a couple of weeks, 50 years, hard to believe. And here, here's the thing: all three of us were alive for the Ice Bowl. Michael, how old were you? I was a hundred days. A hundred days old. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. I remember it vividly. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. have you, and this is an interesting point, I think, CBS, no, there, there is no tape, actual tape of the TV telecast, is there? There is not, and it's been a real frustration. There's a, a lot of interesting parts that are, are missing, including an interview that Frank Gifford did with my dad after the game in the, you know, the loser's locker room, which um, had a ripple effect, and it's, there's a lot of interesting parts that are missing. In part because they recorded over that stuff back in those days, and also equipment failure due to the temperature. There's, there's probably an "as the world turns" that was was taped over that. That's <laughs> the way. That's the way it happened in, in those days. But you know, we we've uh, talked about this previously, and I think one of the most interesting stories I've heard, or the revelation that came out of, how did that interview with Frank Gifford affect your dad's life? From what I've been by Frank, my dad, there's, um, he, he was so stripped and sort of gave a very candid interview because they just left. Okay. Um, it wasn't the canned response. It wasn't the typical. Michael, but, Michael, let's cut, let's cut. Uh, you're, you're fading in and out. I can't, I can't hear you anymore. Yeah. Okay. Can, can you hear me? I hear you. If, um, so, you so, want to try the link? Yeah. yeah, let's try the landline. Give, give me the landline number. Yeah. Okay. It's 856-234-1025. Right. I'm in room I'm in room 143. Room 143. All right, we'll call you right back. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Did you get that, Doug? I did. I got that. That's a good idea. Doug? He got, you got it. it. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that was bad. Where can we pick it up from? You don't want to start Let's just up. start all over. We didn't talk about that much. How, much. how long were we on? I don't know. That's Doug. Well, Kevin, take us in. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. 
Hello, everybody, and welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington. I am his backup here today, Barry Horn. <laughs> backup, your sidekick. No, I'm more of a backup today. That, okay. And, uh, and joining us today on the line is the son of one of the most fascinating players, and to me, the most fascinating player who ever played for the Dallas Cowboys, Danny Don Meredith, Michael Meredith. And Michael is joining us today from NFL Films to talk about uh, a little something that he is working on about the 50th anniversary of the Ice Bowl. And, uh, and we'll let Barry kind of start out with framing some of the, the issues well, for Well, Ma- Michael and I have talked about this, and Michael's been a great font of information. Uh, he's talked to a, a ton of the Cowboys, a ton of the Packers. Of course, he's the link to his dad, who was the Cowboy quarterback that day. And, uh, but I, I just want to start out, Mike, Michael, by, by, by taking you to the losing locker room that day. There's no, and let's, let's just say this. There's no video, there's no film that CBS can provide of the game. Is that correct? That is correct, that we know of. Well, do, do you think some, some collector is sit, <laughs> sitting, with, sitting on that and I, in 100 sure years from so now we'll be, we'll be auctioning it off for billions of dollars? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so, and I hope they're listening to this podcast and they give us a call. Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, that, it, a lot it, of it's missing. It could be, could be, but don't, don't, don't worry, there'll be no money in for you or me. So, don't, so <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> But the NFL, the NFL needs the money. They'll get the money. But I, I just want to ask you, we have talked, and you've told me, I think, a fascinating story. It's one of my favorite stories uh, of, the, uh, of the ice ball. It's something that happened in the losers, losing locker room, which was, it's not the losers, as Don Meredith told everybody, but it was the l- l- team that lost the game. What happened in that locker room that was unique? Yeah, that's, that's exact, that quote actually came out of an interview. Frank Gifford um, requested to go down into the Cowboy locker room and do an interview. He had a relationship with my dad, and that was not done in those days. It was all, you know, go to the, the winner's room. Um, and it, because of the conditions of the game and how much the guys left on the field, uh, there was not enough um, energy or will to give the typical interview. My dad was really just stripped of, um, you know, he, he gave a very candid, raw interview that was uncommon, and a lot of people saw it, from Johnny Carson to Rune Arledge to various people, and it was the, the seed that was sowed that began my dad's on-camera career. Actually, Carson flew him and Gifford out, and he was on The Tonight Show that the next night, or that very night. Um, but the, the ripple effect that I always find interesting is Rune Arledge saw that, and that was the beginning of what would become the concept of Monday Night Football and um, would change my dad's life a few years later. That's pretty fascinating when you think about it and the, and the, how that can happen. And, and certainly you can envision that. I don't, you know, I was 11 years old, so I don't remember uh, that uh, and like Barry does. He's so much older than I am. I, I was older. Michael, how, how old were you that day? I was 100 days old. <laughs> so I remember it vividly. Yeah. Well, you know, like, you know, if if anybody is going to give that kind of interview, of course, it would have been your father, uh, who who was so uh, had such great charisma and uh, and did really seem to be such an uh, a fairly open individual and and much beloved by his teammates. Uh, and and that's what, as I said before, was so intriguing to me about him and what he was able to do. But also, you have the the conditions of that game, which were just. Brutal, and and uh, Barry has written about a couple of players, one of whom died in this last year, who played in the Ice Bowl, and talked about how 
He had long-term... Uh, he, he didn't talk about it. Well, his he, wife, was he was dead. His, his, his wife, Willie Towns. Willie Towns. His, his wife talked about... And, and there, there was a lot of uh, frostbite, a lot of lung issues with the players who played in that game. Uh, I'm going to do another piece on it. I talked to Bob Lilly about it, Mr. Cowboy. Mr. Cowboy still has lung issues uh, uh, from, the, from that game. So Yeah. Um, I just missed Willie's interview. I was at his, at his funeral, actually, and, and uh, Mr. Cowboy gave a, a really nice eulogy there. But, yeah, several of the guys I've talked to can't even be in a, the same room with someone who's smoking a cigarette. Yeah, cause their, Bob Lilly can't, were yeah. changed that day. So, yeah, it was pretty cold, pretty cold. What, what are some of the other things that you found in your research of this game? Well, the, the kind of crazy, insane things that um, just are – in my brain is the well first of all it's the only game that i know of where a fan a diehard cheesehead froze to death in the stands literally uh, an elderly man had heart failure due to hypothermia and he died in his seat um, that that alone is pretty remarkable to me but there was wow i think uh, 11 or 12 people had heart conditions were taken to the er the halftime show was canceled because the band members were ripping their lips off. Their instruments would freeze to their lips. Um, Norn Shackner, the, the lead referee, he blew the whistle for kickoff and ripped his lip off. A blood trickled down his chin and froze into a blood sickle before <laughs> falling to the ground. <laughs> he knocked off and said, no more whistles. So from that point on, they were clapping to stop the plays. Needless to say, there's a few late hits, and it was... Uh, an unorthodox game for sure, but there's a, there's about 25 of those antidotes that just blow my mind. So, do, do you think in the year 2017, 50, 50 years later, under those conditions, the game would have been played? I I think absolutely not. I just don't. I don't think it's possible. Um, we know more now. Uh, there's, you know, I, I I couldn't answer. That would be a you know commissioner question but i i don't think so you, you know i'm fascinated i think part of part of the fascination with the game is just the nickname is the name ice bowl mm-hmm. uh yeah. do, do you do you think if they if they didn't someone and no one really for sure knows uh who came up with ice bowl if if, if they call that the frozen bowl or the the cold bowl would it would it have as much fascination <laughs> uh 50 years later or would it just be another game I think the name has helped the mythology, and it's really the only game that I know that has a, a brand of its. You have the Fog Bowl, and you have you know other games, but the Ice Bowl. I run into people in foreign countries who don't even know the sport, but they've heard of that game. So I think that, and the fact that it was played on a you know a sheet of ice because Lombardi's heating system failed. And that actually made things much worse. So it's an appropriate name as well. Um, that definitely helped to to brand the game and give it its its fame and mythology. Did you have many conversations over the years with your father about that game? I had some. You know, before he passed away, I had an idea to actually do the story of the game as a narrative scripted feature and try to accomplish. Um, even a sliver of what Spielberg and the, the camera director of photography, Janusz Kaminski, did for Saving Private Ryan. My dad and I, we'd seen the, you know, the opening sequence, and um, 
it was so authentic, and the veterans that saw it said that's what it was like to be in Normandy, and I uh, aspired to do something like that for the Ice Bowl and use the players as consultants, and and I asked for his blessing and, uh, you know, any kind of stories that he can think of, and he told me some. Growing up, not so much. I think it was a it was a tough one, a painful one for him, and he. Uh, I grew up in the Monday night booth. That's what I remember. So we, you know, we left Dallas when I was three or four, and it was a whole different chapter of of his life. So not a lot. Did not you did you call Howard Cosell Uncle Howie? Michael. Yeah. Did you call Howard Cosell Uncle Howie? <laughs> No, my uncle was uh, Uncle Shake, which was Frank Gifford. But, uh, but I spent a lot of time with Howard, and I actually remember, uh, I have fond memories. He was always very kind to me and, and a, a sweet guy. From a little kid's standpoint, I, I didn't uh, understand all the, you know, the friction and the widespread. The feelings the public had for him were different than a, than a young kid. He was a nice guy to me. So from, from your standpoint, uh, your memories of your father are as a broadcaster, not as a football player. Um, so it, 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 as an adult, has, how much has that changed, your perspective? It's, my perspective has changed. Incre- I mean, I had no idea what my dad and his teammates did in the 60s. Um, having done the research for this project and I'm working on another one called First Cowboys which will cover the entire decade of the 60s um, I, I have an immense amount of um, pride really for for what they did and what my dad did there was a, a, the pressure they were under the, it was a new team in a boomtown city that had gone through the tragedy of JFK the team in, in my opinion was one of the contributing factors to lifting Dallas out of that, to changing that sort of identity. And the players definitely felt that. So you take the pressure of professional sports, which is immense as it is, and then you add sort of this unwitting ambassadorship that the the players assumed. Uh, I have nothing but admiration and pride, and I didn't know that story, and I never really got a chance to to tell my dad that. So this is uh, probably one of the reasons I'm working on these projects, to try to honor what they did and and, um, show my my respect. Michael, this isn't your first rodeo. Tell us some of the other uh, documentaries you've worked on over the years. Well, this is, uh, I'm working on one other documentary right now over in, um, in Africa. It's called Return to Timbuktu, but uh, these two are my first docs. I've been um, doing scripted feature films up until now. So I did, um, I did one called Three Days of Rain that was based on Chekhov short stories and actually cast my dad as a cab driver in Cleveland during a three-day <laughs> rainstorm. He, he did a really good job, and he was up against guys like Peter Falk and some real solid Oscar-winning actors, and he, um, the reviews, you know, the critics really liked him, and I did too. But yeah, I did. Uh, I've written a couple of scripts. I worked with a German director named Wim Benders um, on all of my films, and then uh, wrote and directed a film called The Open Road with the Big Lebowski himself, the dude Jeff Bridges <laughs> and Justin Timberlake and some some fine actors. So I've had some good fortune so far. But this is this is my venture into documentary world, which is a which is a whole new medium for me, really. Can I just tell you a quick story, a quick aside here? You live in New York City now with your family, correct? I'm splitting time between Dallas and New York. Okay. Yeah. 
Kevin Sherrington told me this morning that he went to the Plaza Hotel over the weekend. He was up there to cover the Giants game. And how much did they charge you for high tea? <laughs> $95 a person. $95 a person for a cracker. Well, no, it was not cracker. It was well, finger foods. Finger food. And a pot of tea. And so the, for the four of you, it was over $400. Three of us, it was over 400 So the three of you, it was over Wow. Yeah. Wow. What kind of town think... do you live in? <laughs> I don't know. I I'm downtown. I'm in Greenwich Village, so that those are the high rollers uptown. I, don't, I yeah. remember the last time I was at the Plaza, I was with my dad. Yeah. So. Well, let, let's talk a little bit more about your dad, because as, as I said, he's always been fascinating to me and uh, and his career. And and you know, I I was born in Dallas, but we moved to Houston uh, really before the the Cowboys began, and and I, uh, so I I didn't uh, grow up a Cowboys fan. Uh, just uh, observed all this from afar, but from everything from I remember then, and then of course what we've read about over the years, I don't know if there was ever a more misunderstood player uh, for the Cowboys than your father. In the, that he took a merciless booing from fans who just most of them just didn't get football at the time. I don't think, and um, and and it was uh, it was brutal, and I think it was probably one of the contributing factors to why he decided to give it up so young. Uh, and then, of course, there were the stories that perhaps he had rethought his position and maybe wanted to come back, and Tex Schramm told him, no, that's that's it. Uh, you know, once you've retired, you've retired. And then, of course, when Tom Landry told him, uh, when your father went in to say, I think, I'm thinking about retiring, and, and Landry's response was, well, then you should go ahead and retire if you're thinking about it. And I think maybe he was disappointed a little bit in that. Well, I'd like to hear some of your thoughts about those those topics. Well, that, yeah, there's a bunch you discovered right there. The um, what what I've what I believe, and I didn't talk specifically with my dad about this, but just all of his teammates and um, just doing research was that he was uh, hoping that Tom would try to talk him out of retiring. He was, you know, he said, "I'm thinking about this," um, and he really wanted Coach to say, "Are you kidding? You just." You were the player of the year two years ago. We had this great record, and you can't retire. And Tom didn't, and, and that uh, that strategy sort of backfired on my dad. I think he was looking for more of a traditional coach like he had in high school or, or college, more of a father figure coach that Tom, that just wasn't who he was. And um, that was, a, you know, an oil and water kind of relationship from the beginning. Um so, yeah, and then he did come back and talk to Tex, and, and I think they'd already kind of moved on. But um, his, as far as being misunderstood and, and that frustration, um, this, this city, like I mentioned before, was going through a lot, and they, they needed the win for more than the normal reasons, I think. You know, the Dallas was branded a city of hate, and they ended up being home of America's team. And that was, uh, you know, an identity crisis in a way the city was under. So I feel like they they, they were much more hardcore and needed more than than your traditional phantom. And a lot of that fell on my dad. And he, to compound that perception or that problem, he was um, he wasn't he was like an actor that couldn't, if he rehearsed his lines too many times, uh, then the performance would be flat. That's that's kind of how I. Just working with actors my whole life is the closest I can come to figuring that out. So he needed a bit of improvisation, and um, that style didn't work either. And that gave him, uh, I think, 
some people felt like he didn't work as hard as he could have or he was lackadaisical or too much of a happy-go-lucky guy. And I don't think he had a choice. I think he had to stay loose, and he needed to to do that for the team also because they were, you know, they came out of nowhere pretty quickly for a brand-new franchise. But until the mid-'60s, they didn't have much of an offensive line or, you know, there wasn't a, a real strong team there. So he had to keep them loose, and uh, I think that was... You know, his personality worked in that regard, but it could it hurt him in the press. And then there was also a few journalists like Gary Cartwright and others that, that didn't make it easy on him. Right. And, uh, he had a lot of different factors that played into it. But but, but there but there was a game, Michael, I, 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 I'm sorry to interrupt you. There was a game, the Cowboys lost, and they flew home after the game and were greeted by whatever number of fans it was. I've, I've seen 500, I've seen 5,000 fans at Love Field after that game, and to take us kind of full circle, what game was that, that there were, there were some people out there really supporting the losing Cowboys? Yeah, and I did talk with my dad about that. That was a, a surprise. And, it's the ice ball. It, it was the first time he and the guys remembered the fans celebrating a loss, and it was 50 years ago in two weeks, the ice ball. They flew home from that game, and, uh, yeah, the numbers uh, vary, as do the attendees of the Ice Bowl. I think there was <laughs> half a million people at that game. But uh, That's how they I stayed have, warm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but they, uh, I have seen photos, and they were. They were there with signs that said, we'll get them next year. You're, you know, you're still our champions. And I think it was a real turning point for, um, for the team and the fans and, and perhaps the beginning of – a shift from from a period of shame to a new chapter of pride. You know, the, the birth of Cowboy Nation, maybe. I have, I have one yeah. one last question before we let you go. Who was the most compelling person you spoke to about the ice ball? Who who was the person who you thought was most interesting in discussing the game? Wow. Um, well, this is going to sound like a safe answer, but I, my mom really. Uh, gave the most on camera and was uh, she poured her heart out on the camera because she remembers how much that game changed her life and my life and my dad's and um, I think she had the most insight into what's most interesting to me which is his character uh, and then as far as the players go that's that's a tough one they're they're all the other thing about the team in that period of time was they, the casting was just incredible. They were all such amazing characters, and they dated movie stars, and they, it was just a new era and a real tectonic shift in the sport, and the Cowboys were the sexy new thing. So, the, um, the, I mean, from Walt Garrison to uh, Rayfield Wright, to, um, and then politically Mel Renfro and Pettis Norman and... Leroy Jordan, they all, they were fantastic interviewers, and uh, it's hard to pick one. Michael, this has been a great interview. I'll tell you what, I don't know when I've enjoyed uh, one of our podcasts as much as I said uh, your father's always a fascinating story to me. And I've, I've, when people ask me, who's the one person you wish you could have interviewed that you never did, I always say your father. Uh, and, that, and for me, that's, that's saying something. I've talked to a lot of, uh, of people over the years and, and people that I wish I had, and, but no, no one like him. We appreciate your insight on, on that, and we're looking forward to this uh, documentary. I think it'll be fascinating 
for not only for people who grew up there, but people who, who don't know these stories. I think this is one of those kind of things that everybody's going to enjoy. It'll be on NFL Network, correct, Michael? Yeah, it's the NFL Network. On their, they have a series called The Timeline, and this one is on, uh, airs on the 29th of this month, December, at 8 p.m. Texas time. So let me, it's, it's a six, is it, how long is it, 60 minutes, 90 minutes? Yeah, it's, it's an hour long. It's an hour long. How, how many hours went into making this one-hour-long doc? I think we probably shot about a five-to-one ratio, um, so five hours worth of shooting actual footage. And then there's a lot of archival. And NFL films, you know, they were shooting on film and captured the game, and that's the reason we still have that footage because everything else, all the other cameras froze and snapped and broke off. So they've got some great footage, and it's, uh, they've, they've redone it. It looks really nice, and I think it's an interesting, interesting piece. So I hope people check it out. One word of advice. Don't leave your mom on the cutting room floor. <laughs> and, <laughs> I'll take that. I'll, I'll take that advice. Very good. All right, thanks, thanks, thanks for your time so much, Michael. Uh, I'll be in touch. Uh, I really one of the great things about about my job is the people I get to meet, and meeting you has certainly been uh, a pleasure. Well, thank you. Likewise, and I really appreciate y'all helping get the word out on this and all the the kind words about my pop. All right. Be well. Much take take, take care. care. Okay. Bye. Uh. You know, you know, and I'm not blowing smoke about that. I've, I've, to me, Don Meredith is um, a, a classic character in in Cowboys history. The only one in 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 our time, professional time, who comes close to it to me is, is Tony Romo, and he, he's a he is a uh, a faint shadow. Yeah, but of it's, Don it's, it's uh, you know, I, I bet I wasn't there, of course, back in the old Cowboy locker room, back wherever it was. You probably could walk up to Don Meredith and have a conversation with him for 15, 20, 25 minutes, 30 minutes, just you and he, and nobody would show up. No. You could not do that with Tony Romo. No, 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 no. He, well, he, he, listen, and I'm not even – here's the other thing. I think his teammates like Tony. They did not love him like the teammates. And I, the stories – and he mentioned Gary Cartwright. Well, what he's talking about is the famous lead that was cited in Gary Cartwright's obituary when he wrote about Don Meredith, outlined against the gray October sky. The four horsemen wrote again. You know them as, as, as pestilence, famine, you know, whatever, and, and Meredith. And Meredith was the fourth of the four horsemen, and meaning that because Meredith had thrown four interceptions in the game. It's Cleveland, the playoff game. And it was a very clever lead. Uh, but it uh, it did not go over well. And one of as as Cartwright put it to one of the uh, other players, he said, "Oh, Don understands. I'm just doing my job." And uh, I, I think did. it was Leroy Jordan who was speaking to Cartwright at the time, and he says, "Gary, you don't understand. There are players on this team who want to kill you for writing that about Don Meredith." Now, how many times have you ever heard uh, athletes back up a teammate like that? You know, you you brought up a great point too, Kevin. That. You know, people say, "Oh, you get to talk to this guy. You get to talk to you. Get to have Des Bryant yell at you. You get, right. you, You've you, had that you, you get, Yeah, you get to have you, you get to talk to Tony Romo. To me, the most fascinating people I get to talk to are the are the guys I talk to who were athletes and stars in my youth. Yes. You know, and, and it, it's it's almost I'm almost sometimes I'm awestruck when I get to I talked to Bob Lilly the other day. For this ice ball story I'm, I'm going to do. And, you know, it meant so much more to me to talk to Bob Lilly than to talk to any current athlete. Well, that's because that's when they were heroes to us. They were. They're no longer heroes to us anymore. No, but, but the old-timers The old-timers remain that. Yeah, and I can, never, I can never understand when people 
today look at athletes as heroes. It's like, no, they're just guys at yeah, work. It's harder now because just what you said a while ago, you, back then you could walk right into the locker room and talk to these guys anytime you want. They talk, They interviewed players before games back then. Yeah. They were in the locker room before games talking to the players. How, how crazy is that? And uh, and then, of course, in the old days, the Cowboys would hand out the home phone numbers of all the Cowboys. Yeah, here's a list. The a- and th- th- they would say to writers, if this guy doesn't call you back, let us know. And we'll call him. Yeah, absolutely. So that was the access you had back then. And we, we kind of came in on the tail end of that. We still had pretty good access back in the day. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But, to, to but na- now it's it's just everything is orchestrated. Right. But here's one of the things, when you were saying that to, to Michael about the, all the things that have been lost because they taped over the broadcast, which, of course, they did do that. It was expensive, This the, what they were doing, what, the process yeah. was. And so they would just tape over these things time and time again. Is the fact that that's what makes this so such a great pros, uh, project, right? Yeah. If, if you had all this information already, like you have now, you have 15 different views of, of every play and every game – you know, it's it's not very interesting anymore. But back then, all that stuff is this is all required detective. Well, well not only search. that, think about it this way: what if they had replay at the ice ball, instant yeah. replay? You know, uh, Donnie Anderson claims he scored a touchdown uh, two plays before the Bart Starr sneak. He he says he was in the end zone. Is that right? Yeah. So uh, imagine history would change. Who knows if the game would have even gotten to that that point if, if it was still close? I'm always fascinated by thinking about. How replay has changed the game, and it, it, it you know if it changes the play in the in the first quarter, there's there sure. ramification. There's ramifications sure. to that as well. But um, so so Don Meredith is, is the athlete you you right. would have liked to talk to Barry. Who's the athlete? Barry, who's the athlete you would have liked to have talked to the most? I don't know. There's so, there's so many. Really, that, to me, that's when people as I said when people ask me that question. He's the only answer I have. Really, you know, I I, I don't know. I, I think it would be. Uh, and I probably could still talk to him. Would be somebody who played on the, the Knicks the, in the nineteen sixties. That, that, that was you could still talk to Walt Frazier if you like. Well, to. I could, you know, and I've talked to I've talked to John Wooden. Uh, you know, I've, I, th- that that was you know what that was perhaps my greatest thrill. I was at John Wooden's little apartment, the same apartment he lived in when he in the years that he was coaching. You know, the greatest the greatest dynasty in the history of sports. Uh, UCLA, and he lived in a little four-bedroom apartment. Yeah, I, I knew that. You know, I knew it, that he did. It's, He's, it's well, he was that kind of guy. The, but the reason I, I, you know, it wasn't so much. I was not a Don Meredith fan growing up. I'm an Oiler fan. You know, growing up in Houston, I'm a Pete Bethard fan, not not uh, Don Meredith. Is that he was such a tragic character in my mind? Uh, it, it was incredibly unfair what the fans in this town did to him, you know, and what management in this town did to him. And I and, and I think that that what, everything Michael said was correct. Uh, everything that Michael said is is what he what he should have been. You know what he talked about. You know is is you know what, my father didn't work that hard. Right. Those are that's all correct. And so he did have faults. Yes, he did throw interceptions. Now, there there were the, he did screw up. But tell me another time in this town that you know that the best player on that team was booed for his play. I don't know. Was was Josh Hamilton booed? Well, Josh Hamilton might have been a boo, but Josh Hamilton was an easier boo because it looked like a lack of effort. You know, I, there was never a time that Don Meredith was a lack of effort. He was getting killed, you know, most of the time back there as a quarterback. And when he threw interceptions, there were just there were bad throws. I, I cannot think of a I can't think of a time when a Cowboy play. Now they may have booed call, play calls and things like that, but not the play of a uh, of a player. And that's a fascinating thing to me that that would happen. I, I, I'm. 
Uh, and, and I think that's a, a great story uh, to, to get to the bottom of that. Why did, why did that happen? And I think one of the things that Michael talked about that I didn't really, frankly, think that much about was the fact that this town had so much riding on the Cowboys, uh, much more so even than they do now. Yeah, we we've got to go because we're in a we're working in a TV studio today, and they, yeah, they've got to do are. a hit for Channel Five. So so we've got to go. But we uh, also I, had a we also had a podcast on what? Wait, I'm not done. I, I just, I'm I, asking I, you a question. We also had a Ranger podcast with Evan Grant, who was yeah. low key Evan today at the winter meetings. At the winter meetings, and we'll have one with David Moore talking about the twenty thousand the two thousand seventeen Cowboys. But I just want to tell you, Michael didn't say this. You know, not only did they go on, I don't think they went on Johnny Carson that night. It was probably the next night, the Tonight Show. It was Johnny Carson, the second year of the Tonight Show. Was John, it really? And, and John, yeah, and Johnny was so impressed by Meredith on that show. They had Don Meredith back, I think Michael told me, twice as a guest host. And Michael told me the ner- most nervous his father's ever been was when he was behind the curtain and Ed McMahon said, Here's Donnie. <laughs> <laughs> and and just for that one moment, I thought that was a great story too. Needless to say, I'll write about the, these sure, go things because because they interest me, and I hope they they would interest others. Sure, people. they would. All right, so we, we got to go because there's a, a breaking news happening. Uh, I'm sure for KXAS Channel Five. So for Kevin Sherrington, I'm Barry Horn. Evan Grant is now having his uh, third mimosa or fourth mimosa of the day at the Steve Boris press conference. Goodbye, be Scott Boris. Uh, Steve Boris. <laughs> You know, Steve Boris was 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 managed. I'm really bad with names, as listeners to the podcast would know, would know. Steve Boris was probably the best baseball interview I ever did. Well, let's say that for another day. Okay, bye, bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Cowboys Ballsy with a Z podcast. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans. See you.